Welcome to our third class. Um, tonight we're going to talk about Dongsheng, uh, the third of the five ancestors that are featuring in this class. And we'll do more storytelling uh, in his background. And also, uh, I want to present you with some of the some pivotal moments in dialogue with Dungshan that uh, we have as koans or as part of his record. Um, There's a wonderful book, uh, which I will show you. This is called The Record of Dungshan. Uh, and you can't quite see it. Uh, I believe it's still in print from the University of Hawaii Press. Uh, it's compiled by uh, William Powell, who uh, I think uh, he's been he's been practicing now uh, with the Santa Barbara Sangha that uh, that Joel uh, Feigen is is part of, and just a wonderful translation. It's one of the it's one of the early Zen books that. Uh, I purchased when when I first came to practice in the 80s. And it's also one that uh, Sojin Roshi had some, uh, I worked with with Bill Powell on this, on some of the translations. So it's it's connected. And of course, Dongshan is one of the, one of the defining uh, ancestors of directly of our Soto uh, Zen lineage. Dongshan's name in, in Japanese in our lineage uh, is Tozan Ryokai. And so the To in Soto is uh, his name. And the So is the name of his disciple, Sozan. Uh, so that would be uh, Sozan Honjaku, whose name in Chinese is Kaoshan Benji. Uh, and um, so we're talking about, let me just give you some of the lineage. So when we were talking last week about Winang, Winang uh, lived sub supposedly from 638 to 713. And he had ancestors or disciples that became uh, two of the uh, remaining lineages in the Zen tradition, the Soto lineage and the Rinzai lineage. Uh, and so in the Soto, what became the Soto lineage, uh, one of his disciples was uh, Chinyuan, Oh, wait, we are recording. Chinyuan Zingshi, or Sagan Gyoshi. And on the Rinzai side, it was Nanyue Huarang, or Nangako Ejo. Uh, and goes from Chinyuan to uh, Shito, or Sekito, uh, to uh, Yakusan, to uh, 
Yunyan or Ungan Danko, who was Dongshan's primary teacher. And then the other side, it went through uh, from Nanyue to great master Matsu or Baso Douitsu. Uh, and his heir in that lineage was uh, Nanchuan uh, Puyuan or Nansen, who famously is the uh, main character in the, the koan where he cuts a cat in half. Uh, we won't go into that today, but um, but Dongshan studied with a number of these people. The lineages were not uh, were not so defined at that time. The it was all on a relatively uh, compact mountainous area of southern China, and the serious Zen students uh, often travel from teacher to teacher to absorb their teachings. And I was thinking about it this afternoon and realized what a what an extraordinary wealth that was because Zen was just taking shape and it was really being translated into Chinese culture. And each one of these teachers, while they had studied certainly the same literature, the same sutra literatures, uh, each of them had a very distinct and personalized uh, mode of teaching. And, uh, you know, the teachers of the, the students of that time uh, made a point of going around and absorbing from all the teachers that they could, at least the adventurous ones. So, um, before I go on, I just want to to check if there's any are there any open questions from last week. Uh, I really want to encourage you to speak out and ask questions, uh, and I'll try to leave a bunch of room for that today. But uh, is there anything left over from last week that you want to know about or that uh, stayed on your mind as a as a question or a comment, whether it's here or um, out there in Zoom land. Yeah, Evan. Um, I just kept thinking about the, the third line of the poem, the Yang's poem, about everything is void. And there's different translations of that line. I read the Red Pine translation. What is that? What's his? I think it is uh, our Buddha nature is forever pure. He gives a couple different translations, like in his commentary, mm -hmm. and none of them were. Well, I think one might have been everything is emptiness, but it's just interesting that to think about it, uh, like it, think about those other translations too. Just yeah. Well, the translation that we that I read from Wang uh, Buang. Um, you know, obviously he's been kind of kind of crunched into shape so that it would rhyme, right? Uh, uh, but 
what the word is, I don't know. We'd have to look at the Chinese to see what the word is that's being uh, variously translated as void or empty. Uh, you know, and of course, when we speak about emptiness, uh, we're not speaking about some some kind of uh, tangible uh, kind of gap or space. It's not emptiness like space, uh, although space is also has this other side. It's it's empty of self nature. In other words, it's empty of uh, it's it's empty of constituent elements that you can that you can point to as even in their minute constituency, uh, you can objectify. So what it's the emptiness means that what we identify as a self or identify as a as a thing or an, or an object is the coming together of myriad causes and conditions. Uh, and so it's empty of abiding self, it's in constant change. And, uh, you know, this is one of the principal, uh, one of the one of the principles of, of Mahayana Buddhism, it's really there in all Buddhism, it's there in early Buddhism as well. Uh, but it's, it comes more to the fore, particularly uh, when you look at uh, the Prajnaparamita schools and the, uh, and the Majamaka uh, schools, which are, you know, the Majamaka school and the Prajnaparamita school is, you know, constantly pointing to this emptiness and it's making an effort to negate anything that uh, we might want to see as an object or as fixed, and particularly that pertains to our ideas of ourself and our world. So um, it'd be interesting to look at what you, if you have some energy, see if you can find out what the word is in Chinese that's being translated. Thanks. Uh, Clay. <clears throat> I had a question about what you just covered in uh, as we started today. And I was curious, as Zen is defining itself and getting established in China, he said it was in this uh, certain part of southern China, kind of a concentrated part. Is it dislodging other sects um, at the time? I'm curious, some of these teachers have hundreds of, of students, and um, it seems like there are large temples and things, and I'm just wondering if that kind of all grew up of its own, or... Or what was going on, if there's any way of knowing that? Well, I think you had a flourishing in these southern mountains. Um, you also had the northern school, which we spoke of to some degree uh, last week, uh, as another stream that flows from the fifth ancestor uh, that goes through uh, Shenshu. Um, but you, as I'm about to, about to, talk a little more about Dungshan. Uh, Dungshan's, you had a whole bunch of different school, doctrinal schools. So Dungshan's first uh, 
encounter with Buddhism was in essentially a Vinaya school where the practice was the precepts. But you also had you had pure land schools. You had schools that um, that grew up around principal uh, sutras. You had the YN school. You had, so you had all these these different schools. Um, one of the things about the Zen school, at least as I understand it, is that uh, it was it tended to be situated in remote areas, uh, not uh, not so much in in kind of large urban or, or areas or capital areas. So it was not it was not the orthodoxy as such. And in fact, it, it even going back to Bodhidharma, uh, when we look at Bodhidharma's story, uh, you know, it talks about a uh, a teaching outside of uh, words and letters. Uh, and the other schools were really schools that were based on particular texts and particular teachings. But I don't know what, I don't know what Chan was like in those days where the way it evolved in uh, later centuries in China and the way you see it now, even in, even in uh, temples and monasteries and, and lineages that call themselves Chan or Zen, uh, if you go if you go over to you know a half a mile away to the the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, have any of you been there? It's wonderful, wonderful monks there, uh, and you know in those traditions, in the course of a day. They do a whole range of different practices. So they will do devotional practices. They will do straightforward meditation practices. Uh, they will do Vinaya practices. They will do Pure Land practices. So in a, in a, at least in a contemporary Chan uh, monastery, uh, you find all of the existing, all of the schools tend to exist within uh, one within one location, which is quite different from what my experience was in Japan. Uh, in Japan, often, uh, you know, if you go to a temple uh, or a monastery at one school, uh, they uh, they profess not to know anything about the other school or the other schools. So in Chinese, it's very, uh, uh, very synthesizing. It's pulling together all these traditions and they're all alive. So that's, that's a, some answer of your question. Thank you. Yeah. Let me press on uh, here. I, yeah, oh, go ahead. Um, two things came up for me during the week, uh, the last week. One, I felt very encouraged because an underdog sort of became the next ancestor, but I was also puzzled uh, and even a little bothered that the other students didn't even bother writing anything because they already give up saying the senior students going to blow us out of the water. So their lack of effort, or I don't know if they were afraid or they were intimidated or respect, I don't know, that those are the two things that came out for me. I don't know if it was a 
tradition to just kind of surrender to the senior student and just back off and let, let them take care of it. So those are the two things that I was thinking about this week. Well, there's an epithet that's used for monks. Uh, sometimes they're referred to as rice packs. Oh. <laughs> you know, and you know, you go to the monastery and you work and you can get, you, you know, you get food for your for your life, you know, and uh, uh, it wasn't it wasn't everybody was not hungry for the Dharma necessarily. Uh, and also, I think that this is a story, and I you know I think there's a there's a lot of is uh, a f sort of a fabulistic turn to it where, you know, the monks are put down so this other guy can be raised up, you know, so, so that's the story. Who knows what it was really like, but it's also true that, you know, in, a, in an environment where there was tremendous amount of poverty and hunger, you know, this was kind of a, a safe place to be where at least you would get food. Uh, but, uh, I'm sure there are many people hungering after the Dharma. And, you know, we don't, we only hear about a few of them. Yeah. So, uh, Dungshan was born uh, in what is known uh, now as uh, Chekiang uh, in Liangche. And he had a calling for the Buddha Dharma at an early age and he became a novice uh, as a boy in one of the Vinaya schools. Vinaya means their primary practice was just maintaining the precepts. And they took uh, in the Vinaya in, in China, they took all of the, they took the full Vinaya, which is, you know, 227 precepts for monks and they took not only did they take the, the various Theravada, various uh, Theravadan Vinayas, uh, but there was also a Mahayana Vinaya. So they, they took, they had a lot of precepts to keep. And the precept became, those precepts were just, that was their practice, actually just doing, maintaining their preceptual life was, uh, was a lot of their practice and then studying the Vinaya and the Vinaya rules and the stories behind behind them. So one day Bodhidharma was chanting uh, the Heart Sutra, which was already a, a principal text. And uh, he got to the line where he says, uh, there is no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body or mind. And he stopped and he ran his, his hand across his face and he thought for a moment and he asked his teacher, uh, since I have eyes and ears and so on, how can the sutra say there are no such things? Uh, and I think all of us have had this question, right? Uh, but somehow it was a question that uh, uh, flummoxed his teacher. And uh, his teacher said, uh, 
said, you should go study with this Zen teacher, Ling Mo. This is very much like what happened to Dogen when he went to his teacher and said, uh, if all beings are enlightened, then why do I need to practice? And he was at a, he was in a pure land. He was originally a young monk in a pure land temple. And uh, basically you ask these kinds of fundamental questions. These are real Dharma questions. And so they sent, they were both sent in their respective times to a, uh, to a Zen monastery, a Zen teacher. Uh, and he went to uh, this teacher Ling Mo's monastery and he was ordained at the age of 20 and began then his journey to meet great teachers of his age. And uh, the first teacher he came to was uh, Nanchuan, who was a student of Matsu, Master Ma. Uh, and it happened that a, uh, a meal was being prepared uh, on the anniversary of Matsu's death. Nanchuan asked his disciples, tomorrow we will offer food to the late Master Matsu. Do you think he will come? And no one answered, but Dongshan, who had just shown up at the monastery, said, he will wait for a companion to come. Nanchuan commented, although this, although this man is young, he's qualified for training. And Dongshan said, this venerable sir should not oppress a good man by regarding him as a worthless fellow. Uh, and this is uh, very much like the Wienings uh, first dialogue when he, when he meets Hong Jin, uh, where, you know, Hong Jin said, this fellow is too smart. And, uh, you know, for a barbarian, he's too smart. And Hong Chen, and Wienang said, the lowest people may have the highest wisdom. The highest people may have the least wisdom. If you slight others, you create limitless, unbounded offenses. The very similar kinds of uh, responses. But what I wanted to ask is, what do you think he means when he says, uh, he will wait for a companion to come. Does anyone want to offer a thought or a word about that? Please raise your digital hands if you have something to say or someone in the room. Anna. I'm wondering about the cultural roots of these incomprehensible things. <laughs> because I, I never get any of them. And just like we understand that the emphasis on the ancestors is a Chinese cultural phenomenon. What, what is the root of 
talking like this? Well, I think this is what to me is wonderful about the Zen tradition is it's just it's live words. You know, it's really bantering back and forth about matters that were really important to them, but that they they put lightly. Uh, it's it's kind of like a comedian telling the truth in a sense. Uh, so you know, the teacher, uh, so let me just look back a second. Uh, Maybe he was afraid the companion of his body? I don't know. So Nanshuan asked his disciples, so the teacher from the seed is saying, tomorrow we will offer food to the late master, uh, Matsu. So tomorrow, uh, you know, we will have, next week, next month, we will offer tea and cookies to our late master soldier. Yeah. You know, uh, do you think he will come? And uh, Dongshan says, well, he'll come uh, if there's a companion. He'll wait for a companion. Uh, Clay? Well, I was just going to say maybe he's waiting for us to meet him. We're the companion. Could you hear me? Yeah. I'm saying it again. Oh, um, I said. Maybe he's waiting for us to meet him there. Meet him at the at the threshold. Perhaps. Anyone else? Anna? When we make these offerings here, I feel that they're being received. Your offering it just really feels to me I'm believing it's being received. You're you're the companion. Offers. I think when we do our annual memorials for Sojin, or we do our annual memorial for Suzuki Roshi, uh, people come forward and they offer words as well as incense or flowers. And they, everybody makes the effort, I think, to be a companion, mm -hmm. to come forward uh, and meet him. You know, Sojin did this every year. He wrote a poem. You know, he really put thought and an effort into uh, meeting his, his teacher. Uh, and uh, I think in this setting, this is a place where Dongshan uh, was moved to 
express his deep feeling when everybody else was again like we were seeing with meaning they were you know the monks were intimidated not ready to make a statement but Dongshan made a statement yeah I was also thinking about studying the intention when we said the intention to make offerings or you know, for the effort, as you said. Yeah, I think also a teacher only comes forward when there is someone to meet her. If there's not someone to meet the teacher, then they're not a teacher. If there's not someone to come forward as Matsu's companion uh, to, to meet him face to face, then the Dharma of Matsu is not going to be revealed. This is why we should express ourselves. It's really important. Uh, I was given a correction in the chat. Um, Dogen's ordination was, uh, his first ordination was at a Tendai monastery, uh, not strictly speaking, a Pure Land monastery. So, um, so he studied with Nanchuan for a while, and then he uh, went to study with Guishan who was another of Master Matsu's heirs. And uh, I'm gonna read you from the, from the record of Dongshan, because this is, this is a very, it's a significant exchange and it, and it extends for a while. Uh, so next the master made a visit to Guishan and said to him, I have recently heard that the national teacher Chung of Nanyang, Nanyang maintains that the doc, maintains the doctrine that non-sentient beings expound the Dharma. Uh, I have not yet comprehended the subtleties of this teaching. So this is not a teaching that you will find in early Buddhism. Uh, early Buddhism you know, would confine the teaching or the preaching of the Dharma to uh, to sentient beings, particularly to uh, to beings in the uh, what can I say in in the in the realm of of expression. So Guishan said, "Can you remember the details of what you heard?" And Nukshan said, um, oops, look at this page. Hmm. Let me look at my record here. Uh, The full story 
is uh, in the Denko Roku, the uh, transmission of a, of a light. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to, I have it here. I just want to. to find it for you correctly. Ah, okay. This is the whole story. Um, so Guishan said, do you remember what you heard about the national teachers uh, teaching? Dongshan said, I remember it. Uh, and Guishan said, well, let's hear it. Then Dongshan is quoting national teacher uh, Huizhong. A monk asked, how about the old Buddha mind? The national teacher said, it is fences, walls, tiles, and rubble. The monk said, fences, walls, tiles, and rubble. Aren't these insentient things? The national teacher said, yes. Are they, are they too preaching the Dharma? The national teacher said, they are blazing with constant preaching and that preaching has no interruption or end. The monk said, how come I do not hear it? The national teacher said, you yourself do not hear it but that does not interfere with the hearing of others. The monk said, I wonder what people are able to hear it. The national teacher said, sages are able to hear it. The monk said, uh, Reverend teacher, do you hear it or not? The national teacher said, I do not hear it. The monk said, Reverend, if you've not already heard it, then how can you know the, the preaching of insentient beings? The national teacher said, fortunately, I do not hear it. If I heard it, I would be equal to the sages and you would not be able to hear my preaching of the Dharma. The monk said, if so, then it goes beyond the capacity of living beings. The national teacher said, I preach for living beings. I do not preach for sages. The monk said, after living beings hear it, then what? The national teacher said, then they are not living beings. The monk said, in what scripture is in sentient beings preached in Dharma attested? National teacher said, obviously words that are not found in scripture are not, are not what should be embraced by the spirit man. In other words, yes, you can find it in a scripture. Uh, have not you seen the verse in the Avatamsaka Sutra that says lands preach, living beings preach, in the three times everything preaches. Okay, can you kind of hold that in mind? It's a complicated story. And it, there's more to it. 
when Dongshan had finished, so Dongshan, remember, Dongshan was reciting this to Guishan. When Dongshan had finished raising his case, uh, Guishan said, ah, I here as well have it. Only it is very rare to encounter that person. Uh, in other words, it's very hard to meet a, peer, a person like me who gets this. I know what you're talking about now. And Dungshan said, I have not yet clarified it. Like, I don't get it yet. I beg you, Master, please instruct me. Guishan held up his whisk uh, and said, do you understand? Dungshan said, I don't understand. Please explain. And Guishan said, a mouth born of a father and mother cannot explain it to you. Then Dongshan said, is there anyone else who searched for the way at the same time as you, Master? And Guishan said, uh, if you go from here to Yo district in Liling, uh, there's a person named Yunyan. Uh, Dongshan said, I wonder what sort of person he is. Guishan said, he once asked me, when a student trainee wishes to serve his master, then what? I, Guishan, responded to him, straight away you must cut off defilements, then for the first time you will get it. And Yunyan said, then I will be able to avoid disregarding your instructions, master, or not. <laughs> uh, so with that as encouragement, uh, Dungshan took a leave of Guishan and went to Yunyan. Uh, after raising the same episode, the same story with Yunyan, he asked, uh, insentient beings preach the Dharma, but what person can hear it? Yunyan said, insentient beings can hear it. Dongshan said, Reverend, do you not, do you hear it or not? Yunyan said, if I could hear it, then you would not be able to hear me preach the Dharma, which is basically what the national teacher said. Dongshan said, why can't I hear it? Yunyan held up his whisk and said, do you hear this? Dungshan said, I don't hear it. Yunyan said, if you can't even hear my preaching, my preaching the Dharma, how much less so the Dharma preaching of insentient beings? You know, if you can't hear what I'm saying, how are you going to hear what these wall tiles and rubbles are saying? Uh, and then he asks, Dungshan asks, in what scripture do you find this? And uh, Yunyan said, uh, have you not seen the passage in the, uh, in the uh, Amitabha Sutra, different Sutra, uh, that says, waterfowl and groves of trees, all of them recollect Buddhas and recollect Dharmas. dharmas. At this, Dungshan had an insight. So, um, 
his insight is in his record. And I want to read you his, his poem. Uh, at his insight, he said, he proposed the following gatha. How amazing, how amazing. Hard to comprehend that non-sentient beings expound the Dharma. It simply cannot be heard with the ear. But when the sound is heard with the eye, then it is understood. So I'm gonna, let me stop there and see if you have any comments about this story. Can you be a companion to this story? So, thank you. Um, I think of the Genjo Koan, and that's the cl cl closest understanding, at least my understanding of that is that there is a confirmation of non-sentient beings and we are confirmed by the 10,000 things. And I don't know if that's um, at the same time that mind and body drop away or a cause of it, but it does seem to be a flow of um, dropping conceptual ideas. Yeah, I think that it is. Um, its experience of the non duality or the oneness of of everything, which includes sentient and insentient beings. And I think that's precisely Dogen quotes this story frequently, actually. Uh, and it's, it, it's sort of, it's a pivotal story uh, in, in the Zen tradition. Uh, it's also, um, just to say, and I don't want to get into this, it's been a controversy in, uh, it's a controversial position in uh, modern Buddhist scholarship. Uh, because it uh, it has the hazard of this position is that it uh, appears to equate sentient and insentient things, and so in a sense, it has the potential to devalue uh, the position of sentient beings. Does, it, does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Why does it? I'm sorry. Why does it equate those two? Well, if you're saying that sentient beings preach the Dharma and insentient beings preach the Dharma, then, then everything is of a kind of equal value. Uh, and that allows you to treat sentient beings and insentient beings in the same way and 
there are, you know, there are uh, There was a school called Critical Buddhism, uh, which which critiqued in in the in the seventies, which which was saying that this, you know, in I think in Western poetry, this is called the pathetic fallacy. If you're familiar with that, it's it's basically assigning uh, sentience and agency, living agency to, uh, to non-alive things. Yeah. Why does, why does their ability to preach the Dharma imply sentience or agency? Well, it, it doesn't necessarily. Uh, but what the scholars are saying in this school is that it it has led to, uh, it's led to a position where human life is not seen as any more precious than, than any other existence. And that has allowed human, humans to be treated as objects. Uh, so I don't wanna get too tangled up in this, but, but I made the mistake of raising the question, raising the issue so that's okay. But this was not Dungshan's full enlightenment. Uh, he studied with Yunyan for a number of years, and then he prepared to continue his journey. Uh, and as he departed, uh, as he departed, uh, Yunyan said, it'll be difficult for us to meet again. Yunyan was old. Dungshan said, it'll be difficult for us not to meet. But after your death, if someone asked me to describe you, what should I answer? So one of the things in, in those days, uh, often the document that you would receive uh, as a kind of authorization of your transmission, uh, you, you'd receive a, a painted, a painting of your teacher. Uh, so I don't think Yunyan gave, uh, gave Dungshan this painting. And so Dungshan, it's not that he didn't verify his understanding, uh, but he also saw that Dungshan had more work to do. And so Dungshan is asking, how shall I describe you? After remaining quiet for a while, Yunyan said, just this person. There's various translations of this line. Just this person or just this one is. And Dungshan remained silent for a long while. Uh, harboring his last doubts. And Yunyan said as they were leaving, you should be very careful about carrying on this business. You must be very cautious. 
Dungshan, well, one thing that I love about Dungshan is that uh, throughout this story, the story of his life up to this point is he's not shy about expressing his doubts. Uh, and so, according to the record, Dungshan remained dubious about what Yun-Yun had said, meaning he didn't really understand what he said. Later, as he was crossing a river, he saw his reflected image and he experienced a great awakening about this previous exchange. And all of his doubts were clarified. And he offered this famous verse. Don't seek from others or you'll be estranged from yourself. As I go alone, I meet him everywhere. He is what I am now, but I am not what he is. One must understand in this way to merge with suchness. Read that again. Don't seek from others or you'll be estranged from yourself. As I go alone, I meet him everywhere. He is what I am now, but I am not what he is. One must understand in this way to merge with suchness. I want to read you something that I found speaking to, uh, to Dungshan's teachings. This is from, um, this is from Blanche Hartman. Uh, one of our elders and another of Sojin's Dharma heirs. Uh, she writes, in the onrushing kaleidoscopic chaos of our life, there's nothing substantial to hold on to. Among moment after moment after moment, arising moment after moment after moment, we can't identify with any of it. It arises and passes away. In the midst of the openness of this question, what, what, what? When you touch that really open space, let it enlarge, let it expand, let it explode your limited view of a substantial separate self and allow your, you to experience the boundlessness of your being. Seeing yourself in everything. And then she quotes one of the principal teachings of Dungshan uh, from the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, uh, which is something that we've studied and we should study again. Uh, this is Dungshan's saying, it is like facing the jewel mirror. Form and image behold each other. You are not it. It actually is you, which is very much the same as, uh, as this line in the poem. He is now not, no other than myself, but I am not now him. 
We are one. He's one with his teacher union, and yet he is himself. Each of us is one with our teacher, one with our parents, one with other beings, but we also are uniquely ourself. And in each other, we see a mirror of who we are if we look really closely. This is Zungchan. It's like facing the jewel mirror, form and image behold each other. You are not it, it actually is you. This it doesn't mean that when he saw his reflection in the stream, that he saw his reflection was him. It meant that the water was him, the rocks were him, everything. The onrushing stream was not separate from himself. Wherever he looked, there was a jewel mirror. Whatever he saw was not separate. This is awakening to the totality of who you are and what you are. It's not that you disappear. You are you and you are everything simultaneously. The relative and absolute intermingle and interpenetrate, as we chanted this morning in the merging of difference and unity. Merging the difference in unity is the, what we call, what we know as the Sandokai, which really is a, uh, is a slightly earlier uh, expression of what Dungshan was getting at in Chulmur Samadhi. Same thing, the merging of difference in unity. You are you, and you are not separate from anything. It begins with breath, just breathing in and breathing out. What is inside? What is outside? Following your breath in your hara, deep at the bottom of your belly, let it out all the way. Let it go completely. Just exhale and don't worry about the inhale. The exhale will become the inhale of its own. Trust it. There, at the bottom of your breath, between exhale and inhale, there's a very quiet moment Stay right there. Be with whatever arises right there. It's a beautiful passage from, from Blanche. Very clear exposition of uh, what we're trying to talk around uh, in terms of the, uh, these teachings of Dungshan. So any thoughts or comments? I think it's from uh, Blanche's book. I'm forgetting the title of it. Someone out there knows it. You could put it in the chat. Um, I see uh, Judy. Thank you, Hosan. Um, I keep I keep coming back to uh, how this relates to, if you will, um, collective consciousness and that awakening is not an individual matter. Uh, and so um, 
you know, like I remember um, in a fascicle of Dogen where he's talking about, uh, you know, the sentient and insentient, that um, something is expressed around, this isn't about an identity that sentient is, uh, say, human beings and insentient are rocks and so on, but it's rather, um, it's a matter of awakening. You know, so it's sort of akin to practice and practice enlightenment is 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 one. Um, in the same way, sentience and insentience uh, is is an alignment of 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 awakening to the real true reality of all beings is interpenetrated. And so from that kind of an understanding, um, for instance, I, I take care of, um, well, I respond to climate crisis from a recognition that I am climate. And so, um, it's an act, it's an appropriate response. And so I'm wondering how that comes in with, um, you know, collective awakening and then particularly around themes of um, uh, responsiveness to, to, you know, crises of our times from racial justice to climate crisis. Well, I think what Dungshan is, and I think about um, the metaphor, and I've talked about this often, uh, that a way that I think about playing music, um, which is collectively uh, the band, the orchestra, the group, whatever the ensemble is, is doing something together. Individually, every single member of that is completely responsible for the whole thing. And it's interactive. So what Dongshan, and what I think is true of the Zen tradition is, it's not that it's being obtuse about the interactive or social dimension. It is saying, I think, we need to do our work. We need to practice ourselves in order to be attuned because that attunement does not necessarily arise collectively. It arises out of a collection of awarenesses that we have to be responsible for as individuals. Uh, and that's, that's what I think, you know, I'm, I'm very attuned to what's going on in the world, but if I'm not finding a way to really feel connected to all of that, which calls for the refinement of 
my own awareness and self, then my understanding is going to be really fuzzy. Yeah, it's just that when Dongshan has that wake up moment, you know, uh, with the reflection and he 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 expresses the word alone, of course, it's alone in harmony with all beings. I mean, he was meeting all relationship in that moment. So I, I think it's also how we understand this person, individual, aloneness. I would also look at what, this is why we look at the whole record. Dungshan did not become a hermit. He was not satisfied to then go into the mountains and find a cave and practice there. He went and he founded a monastery and he attracted hundreds of students, he took his understanding into the world. And the same thing is true with the Buddha. You know, uh, the Buddha, the Buddha's first thoughts on awakening was, wow, this is amazing, but, you know, uh, I've, I've done it. Uh, and he didn't, he's, he had some preservations about whether he could teach this to anyone. And the celestial beings said, please, please uh, take this into the world. And he did. And then he spent the next 40 years doing that. But his first, you know, his first, he needed to come forward. This is called the going forth. And so uh, our awakening is something that happens within the container of self. It's settling the self on the self, but it doesn't stay there. If it stays there, then it's not the bodhisattva way. Other thoughts, questions? I have a question. So yeah. when the Buddha said this cannot be thought, he's not really actually teaching it, right? He's just sort of like pointing towards the Dharma because I mean he walked around for 40 years. So what is exactly did he teach? If he couldn't teach it, then how did he? What he did was he met absolutely everyone who came to him. And the sutra, the sutra literature is simply a set of dialogues, you know, and he didn't say the same thing to everybody. He gave them, he gave each person the teaching that was appropriate for, for them. Uh, and so sometimes we might see contradictions. Uh, 
you know, if we, when we get to Dogen, uh, we'll see uh, in two weeks, we'll see, you know, Dogen's teachings shifted over the course of his life. And it, it shifted it on the basis of who, who was he living and working with? Uh, and the same thing is true with, with any teacher. And that, that's why to sort of uh, you know, when you have a Q&A in, uh, or when you have Shosan ceremony here, uh, these are not generic questions that are being asked. They are, uh, each person is asking their question and the answer they get is their answer. And so Jim asks, Jim could ask a question and Jonathan could ask the same question and you guys might get different answers, uh, depending on what's the, what's the relationship between us? What is the, what's, what is behind the question? What's the body language, all of that. And this is, nobody becomes his teacher. And this is, this is also, we get to uh, the, you know, the case that there's the case that uh, I read several, several weeks ago, uh, speaking about uh, Sojin. Let's see if I, it's, it's hard to keep track of the papers, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, here it is. Um, Many years later, Dongshan uh, held a memorial meal for his teacher, Yunyan. Uh, so excuse me for repeating this, which I gave in the lecture a few years, a few weeks ago. Uh, and a monk asked him, what teaching did you receive when you were at Yunyan's place? Uh, Dongshan said, Although I was there, I didn't receive any teaching. Uh, in other words, Union didn't explain anything to me. And a good teacher won't do a lot of explaining to you. They'll just maybe open a window so that you can uh, find out for yourself. Um, well, since you didn't receive any teaching, why are you conducting this memorial? Asked the man. Uh, Dongshan said, why should I turn my back on him? If you began by dating Nanchuan, which was his first teacher, why now do you conduct a memorial feast for union? Uh, and Dongshan says, it's not that my former master's virtue it's not my former master's virtue or Buddhanarma that I esteem, only that he did not make exhaustive explanations for me, replied the master. Uh, since you are conducting this memorial feast for uh, Yunyan, do you agree with him or not? Uh, asked the monk. The master said, I agree with half, 
and don't agree with half. Uh, why don't you agree completely? Asked the monk. The master said, if I agreed completely, then I would be ungrateful to my former master. Do you understand? Does that make sense to you? We're not supposed to be our teachers. When you look at uh, I didn't know Suzuki Roshi, uh, but my feeling from looking at Suzuki Roshi's heirs is that uh, everyone of his heirs has some piece of him. No one is exactly like him. And that is true, I think, of, of all of our teachers. Uh, I mean, I've not met, I do not purport to be like Sojin, if you will. Uh, but I learned from him, as did many of you who are here, and each of us carries a piece of that. And it wouldn't do to agree with all, because we actually have to stand on our own feet in our own place with our own understanding. And that's what our teachers want from us. That's what Yunyan wanted from Dongshan. So I just want to get to the end of his life in the few minutes that we have. Uh, In 1860, in 1869, uh, in 1869, <laughs> uh, in 1869, he was already dead for a thousand years. Um, in 1869, however, uh, Dungshan announced to his disciples that he had reached the moment to pass out of this life. Uh, this is one of the things that Supposedly, great Zen masters have the uh, capacity to predict their own deaths. Uh, he shaved his head and he put on his formal robes. He, he shaved his head and he bathed. Uh, he took a ritual bath. He put on his formal robes and he gathered his disciples about him. Uh, he seated himself in cross-legged meditation. He said, farewell to his disciples, and he died. His disciples could not contain their feelings. So they sobbed so loudly that he gave up the hope of dying in peace. <laughs> um, opening his eyes, he rebuked them by reminding them that followers of the Buddha Dharma are not attached to externals. Self-cultivation, he said, consists in this. In living, you work hard. In death, you are at rest. Uh, why should there be any grief? 
He then ordered uh, an offering of food, which is sometimes called a stupidity meal, to uh, as his last meal, you know, to point out the, the pointlessness of his monk's grief. But he was kind to them. Uh, he, he offered this in order to shame them. And even so, they took a week to prepare this meal. They really, they were not in a hurry for him to go. Uh, and when it came, he ate. He took another ceremonial bath. <laughs> he was a clean guy. He bade farewell to his disciples again, and he died. So in between, I really encourage you to, uh, to look at this record, uh, the Bill Powell's record of Dungshan, uh, because there's so many wonderful stories. Uh, there's a story, I love this story. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, it just amuses me. Uh, Oh yeah. When the master was at uh, Leitan, he met the head monk, Chu, uh, who said, how amazing, how amazing, the realm of the Buddha and the realm of the path, how unimaginable. Accordingly, the master said, I don't inquire about the realm of the Buddha or the realm of the path, rather, what kind of person is it who talks about the realm of the Buddha and the realm of the path? It's kind of sharp, right? Uh, after a long time, when the head monk had not responded, the master said, why don't you answer more quickly? Chu said, such aggressiveness will not do. Dung uh, <laughs> said, you haven't even answered what you were asked, so how can you say that such aggressiveness will not do? Chu did not respond. The master said, the Buddha and the path are nothing more than names. Why don't you quote something about teaching? What about teach, what does, what would a teaching say? Asked Chu. And Dong Chen said, when you've gotten the meaning, forget the words. Uh, Chu said, by still depending on teachings, you sicken your mind. This is, this is kind of, a, this is sort of a nasty exchange. Uh, but how great is the sickness of one who talks about the realm of the Buddha and the realm of the path, said, said Dongshan. Again, the head monk did not reply. The next day, he suddenly passed away. And from that time, Master Dungshan came to be known as the one who questions head monks to death. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, any last thoughts or questions before we finish for the night?
Yes. I was wondering if you could say a word about the ancestors chant that we do. Um, I feel connected to the meaning of honoring the ancestors. And at the same time, sometimes my experience of it is that it feels a little tedious, like saying each name and not having a really a knowledge of a lot of these persons. And, and I wonder if you could speak to it to try to maybe uh, sure. inspire some connection to the meaning of it. Sure. And Mary, I see your hand. Um, well, what I would, let me just relate my experience, um, which is, for me, when I was at Tassahara in um, 1988, I guess, when we chanted the lineage, we chanted the, the whole lineage every day, the lineage, we weren't chanting women ancestors at that point, which I think is a wonderful and important addition, but we chanted the whole temple lineage, which, which went from Shakyamuni Buddha through Suzuki Roshi. Um, and my experience doing that every day was, it brought forth for me a feeling that I wanted to be in this family. This was a family that I wanted to be in. And I think we do this to remind us of what family we're in. And sometimes, you know what? Our families are kind of tedious. Sometimes you don't want to remember the family that you're actually, that you're actually in perhaps. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we're in, I think it's important to honor both our Dharma families and also our birth families. And I feel like those lineages converge in you. They meet, you know, Suzuki Roshi and your grandparents, uh, they meet and they're expressed in you. Uh, and I think that's, that's wonderful. Uh, and if you want to study the lineage, very simple way to do it. Uh, the Denko Roku, uh, D E N K O R O K U, the transmission of the light. That was written by Dogen's disciple Kazan and has stories of all the ancestors from Shakyamuni Buddha up until Dogen. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of different versions of it. It's, it's really accessible. The stories are great. And it gives you a feeling for, for, the, for the family uh, that we're in. That said, it's important to recognize, as we spoke of last week, that these families are constructions, you know, that they're not, some of them, there's, there's some gaps that were filled in so that it would appear to be person to person, which may or may not be the case. But still, all the stories are really alive. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Mary, we'll take your question and then we'll end. Thank you. I'm still thinking about um, the uh, teaching of the Dharma, the insentient parts of our universe, and the controversy that you 
took a little side trip down about the controversy in the 70s, but whether that doesn't that denigrate sentient beings somehow. And I'm wondering why it doesn't work the other way. Why doesn't it elevate the insentient beings to be as wonderful and as um, marvelous as sentient beings? Well, it, it does, but the con there was a context. And there's always a context for ideas, right? Right. And in the particular case of critical Buddhism, the context was looking at the history of Japanese Buddhism in the in the 19th and 20th century, which um, committed atrocities. And the teachings, you know, there are teachings which I can find from prominent Zen teachers about uh, killing, you know, about, you know, uh, brandishing the sword. You're not killing a sentient being because there are no sentient beings. Uh, and so there's a, there's a political context to it uh, or a social context which plays out in uh, the kind of aberration of this thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay, until next week. And next week we will talk about Dogen. And as I say, Please, if you have questions, uh, feel free to ask me on email or bring your questions next week. And we'll close with the Bodhisattva vows. Beings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Thank you all. <laughs>